Mansplanation is a show about two men trying to break free from the prison of toxic masculinity. They offer no professional advice or suggestion. They will occasionally use adult language and will often discuss examples of violence and malicious behavior, so parental guidance is recommended. Sitting on a park bench. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know any other words except park bench. What's going on with your camera, dude? Hey, Aqua Lung. Oh. I'm in the shimmer. Do you have some, like, uh, tape over it or something? No, I'm in the shimmer. You're in the shimmer. That makes sense. listening to myself anymore i'm just listening to you and i'm always listening to you oh that's <laughs> creepy uh welcome to mansplain nation a show conversation between two friends trying to understand masculinity manhood in a post the, the way i the way i do it in my head is uh two guys trying to get over the bullshit two guys trying to get over their bullshit two guys and a bullshit mm-hmm. trying to clear it Tonight I'm doing this old audio recording trick. Mm, drinking a beer. To drink. Ah. Uh, what are you having tonight, Tim? It, it, dries your, it dries your mouth a little bit. Uh, I am having the Lagunitas pills. Czech-style pills. No, not the little something-something. Lagunitas is good stuff. Lagunitas, if you would like to support us, uh, we can be uh, bought for as little as a six-pack each. I'm not going mean, to lie. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you to our sponsor, er, or, uh, er, at Eric, our, our patrons hmm. here who pay us money to do it. I don't know what I'm doing with that. Uh, so I saw us. Man, tell me about it. I don't know how, like, I don't know if I could talk about it without spoiling it. Well, well let's, let's do two things. Number one, if you are going to be continuing to listen be prepared that we're probably going to spoil the movie. Uh, if you would like to uh, not have this movie spoil for you, and if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend going in as blind as possible. I think it's a much more rewarding experience. I was trying to dis- I was trying to decide that. I don't know that I agree with that. Hmm. Okay. Oh, I totally do. I feel like if I feel like I would have had, I would have had just a good time, and I would have had a different understanding of the movie. Had I known, exact like if I'd known the whole narrative, even if I knew like a, a handful of things, like I feel like if you saw the trailer, mm-hmm. you already have a set of expectation. Like uh, the only way that you essentially can be not have this movie already spoiled for you is to not even know what it is and not know who Jordan Peele is, and not have seen Get Out or seen Get Out, and maybe when you get to the theater, find out that oh, this is by the same guys Get Out. I would disagree. Because within the first 10 minutes, I realized it was a completely different movie than what I had already expected from the trailer alone. Okay. And that complete, I was completely thrown for a loop. And so it's like, oh, okay, I need to, like, I'm like, I will be thinking about this movie for a week until I see it again. Like, mm-hmm. I'm already planning my next trip to see it again. Yeah. That's how much I liked it, how good it was. And I, I think, like, when you see it for the first time, you develop your expectations, you develop your theories. 
And even at that point, you go online, you read reviews, you read criticism, you read other fan theories. And then from there, you see it in a different way with different set of eyes. I think it's much more valuable to kind of develop with the movie, to kind of uh, grow, to grow with it for those two hours. The other thing I wanted to say, Tim, is I'm very excited to talk specifically to you about this because I've talked to two friends who thought the movie was garbage. Well, Todd, did, were they English majors? They one was let's see, ex-military. I don't believe. Yeah, he's a he's a social. Have they player. not read Beloved by Toni Morrison, Todd? Oh my God. So you listen to that podcast too? <laughs> yeah, still processing. We've talked oh, about yeah. still processing. Wonderful. Yeah, that's. I listened to it. Like I've been waiting all week to listen to it. Yeah. And this is my point. It's like. I think I would I would have had a completely different experience, and they don't spoil it. No, no, they those they're masters of that. I'm, I'm impressed by how well they discussed it without spoiling it. I would have had a completely different experience, even having listened to that and still enjoyed the movie and still been and like I don't know, not have to go see it a second time. So now I have to go see right like I will likely see it a second and third time. Like I plan on watching this with my wife at some point, and who who hates horror movies? If you're not the type of person who would watch a movie a second or third time, then yeah, don't don't go into this movie not being spoiled. But if if you're the type of person who sees a movie and you're like, oh, I really want to watch that again, I like that, please go ahead and listen to this. And once again, Tim is wrong, see this blind. And then <laughs> see it again after reading some criticism and listening to this podcast after you've seen it first time. See, I, so I think that the, the difference here is I like to know in advance what are the movies that I'm going to want to see again when I go see them mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and, this, and, and going into the movie the way I went, having only seen the trailer, I didn't know that about this movie. So that was very surprising to me. Same way, same, and I feel the same way about Annihilation. I My see, personal because, thing is I, I like how you wait like a beat or two until I start talking and then you talk over like me. I'm trying to set up some timing, like some like conversational audio, comedic or dramatic timing. It's not frustrating at all. That you just want to just want to hijack the mic. You're just waiting for that beat so you can be like, it's the top. No, go ahead. You won. You won the mic. I was going to say that for me, I, I develop a, a group of actors, actresses, writers, directors, producers, cinematographers, whatever, that I know that I like. And when, that, when I find that they're in a movie, I will just go into it blind, just based on the trust that they have developed. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was, will appear later or if it will appear in a podcast, but Tessa Thompson is one of those for me. Mm-hmm. Between Westworld, mm-hmm. between Annihilation, between uh, Sorry to Bother You, she's just one of those people who's like, yeah, y- y- you've got me. If you're in a commercial, I'm watching it. If you're in a rom-com, I'm watching it. If you're in the next Tyler Perry, Medea's Scared Stiff, I'm watching it. You got has me, Tessa been, Thompson. Has she done a Tyler Perry movie? If she did, I would watch it. No, she has not. Uh, Le- Stan- I know... Um... Uh, Idris Elba has been in a Tyler Perry, a couple Tyler Perry movies. And even if they were, I would watch it. I have a Tyler Perry obsession. Anyway. And Jordan Peele is obviously one. Yeah. Just on the basis of Get Out, that was enough for me to say, you got me, dude. And I think it's also a little unfair that he gets to be good at so many things. I mean, you can't be have the superpower of a master sense of humor and be this... this inte- uh, it is brilliant. You shouldn't be anyway. I'm glad somebody is. And like when I see this movie, like essentially watching this movie was watching a lot of my thoughts and things up on screen. Like it speaks a language that I speak. Okay. So it's like, 
it's refreshing to watch him and Key and Peele. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from, and this is guesswork, but this is just from like listening to him talk and interviews. And I'll try to look up some, you know, citations for this. But I know he talks about, you know, growing up biracial and having a white mother. Um, Are we talking Tyler Perry? No, sorry. Did I say Tyler Perry? I meant Several Jordan times. Peele. You, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm like, okay, is Tim like joking or is he, or is he going with this? How many Tyler Perry movies? Did has I, I said Tyler Perry and then I thought I said Jordan Peele. You said Tyler Perry like eight times. I did, but then I said Jordan Peele. And then you said it like a seven more seven more times. But Jordan Peele is the one that gets you. Um, so Jordan Peele gets me um, from his comedy. Uh, I, he's and he's also a very attractive man. I find him a very, a very he's very good looking. Yes, yes. And he's a body type that I don't think we see a lot in Hollywood. He's the Hitchcock body type, I think. Right, like and kind of a stout man. I'm drawn a lot. I'm I'm pulling the Hitchcock comparison just because I see like Jordan Peele to me is like okay. I feel about Jordan Peele the way people felt about the man with the H name Hitchcock, okay. Alfred. In terms of like, oh, there's an Alfred Hitchcock movie out. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Like back in the 40s, 50s, and mm-hmm. 60s, um, the way people felt about Stanley Kubrick, the way people feel about he's he's Tarantino. I think <laughs> fuck that pasty motherfucker man people love hating on tarantino there was a trailer for yeah why yeah why because he was he's complicit with weinstein he's absolutely fucking complicit so wait a second wait a second wait a second so you are willing to say that he is complicit with weinstein's based on he admits to knowing about uma thurman knowing about the uma thurman accident yeah and pushing her and like and and knowing He, he admits that he has apologized, he has accepted his apology. But at the same time, you are not willing to accept the narrative that has been put out on um, uh, Argento, Asia Argento. No, I am. I'm absolutely... Because last time we talked about it, you, you were telling me, no, Todd, these photos could be Photoshopped. This is from TMZ, which is not a reliable resource. Sure, those are all true. But Tarantino made his career off of Weinstein. You cannot tell me that Tarantino does not have the power in Hollywood that he does today because of Harvey Weinstein, that Harvey Weinstein funded and produced his movies. I don't think anyone would disagree with that statement. But to say that he is complicit with them, uh, that's, that's a bridge too far. If not directly. I mean, in the way that we are all complicit, that we all exist and live in this society. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if that's the case, then you and I have to answer for Harvey Weinstein with a little bit more than a podcast. No, and I absolutely think we do. As white men, we need to answer for Harvey Weinstein, Okay, okay. so there's the general, we are complicit because we are white men. We are complicit because we are a man. We're complicit because we are part of the patriarchy. And that we are complicit because what we know about it. Because when you say complicit, that's really what is led there. So if you're going to say, fuck that guy, then fuck you, fuck me, fuck the next guy that's down the hall. Yes, yeah, exactly. Fuck fuck Jordan Peele. Yeah, fuck Jordan Peele. Fuck Jordan Peele. This is a really weird point that you're trying to make. But guess what? Guess what? Also, fuck Asia Argento. Sure, if you want to pull it back as far out as possible, we are all human. We are all flawed. We all have to work better. And that also means working better for everybody else and making sure that the guy next to you, the guy on your right and the girl on your left are also doing better and are also okay. Yeah. What What I'm ultimately saying here is we do not know for a fact that Quentin Tarantino is aware, was aware 
Oh, I, finish, I don't. Sorry. Let me go finish, ahead. Let me finish. Was aware of any of the sexual assaults that Harvey Weinstein was committing. We do know, and he has admitted this, he has apologized, Uma Thurman has accepted his apology about the accident that he was pushing her too far at the bequest of Harvey Weinstein. Um, he has given her the footage of the accident, put that out there, saying this is part of my apology to her. To, to call a man complicit with the Weinsteins, though, I think that's the first thing that people come to come to head on is, did he or did he not know about the sexual assault? And I do think we need to make that clear. We are not privy to that knowledge. Yeah, and I, and I, and I hear you, and I agree, but to be a man in Hollywood, again, the, to me, I, I, I could jump to Roman Polanski, but I'm not going to. I'm going to jump in a completely different direction. Go there. Fuck. And I want, hold on. I lost it. We may have to come back to it. So yeah, Roman Polanski, Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. The assault happened at Jack Nicholson's home. Right. But he says he doesn't know. Right. But to be a man working in the industry and working in Hollywood at that time and place meant you knew that there were sexual predators that you were working with. You maybe not didn't know who they were. Mm-hmm. But you, right, like to to say that Tarantino was ignorant of Weinstein's bad behavior, it was a joke among it was a joke in Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. That he was a monster. A joke is one thing; a fact is another. I'm gonna uh, okay. Let's let, let's take this on a parallel uh, line of questioning. Tim, have you had friends that have been accused of sexual misconduct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, when did you find out? What was your reaction? Hmm. And this is not to accuse you because I have my own version of the story. I have, unfortunately, I have several versions of the story here. But we'll, we'll go with you. And I, like, I'm not. This is, I guess, is what I'm saying here is I'm not trying to talk you into a corner or back you into this. This yeah, is part no. of the discussion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what the 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 pivot I thought to that wasn't as going to be. The, I bet it was a good one. I'm, I'm really curious. That was going to lighten it a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Instead of uh, like, I'm like, oh, if we go to Roman Polanski, Roman Polanski is going to tense it up. We're going to, we're talking about sexual assault allegations. I kind of want to get away from that frame. Wait, are you trying to insinuate that we know the same person? I don't know if you know any of the people that I oh, know. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I don't have a good, I do not have a example handy. Um, I have you five want... off the top of my head and it ranged from in, in the early 2000s. It's like I knew that this person had uh, done something very questionable on a date to a woman, and I continued to be friends with him for a long period of time. So that would be person number one. Person number four, people number four and five, uh, happened much more recently. And I felt that when they when it came to light about the allegations that were against them, I just I didn't bother to wait to hear the other side of the story. I just excised those people from my life. I had no interest in engaging in conversations, being friends with them anymore because the allegations that were against them were either, in one case, I had photographic evidence that he was uh, beating her pretty badly. In the other case, uh, three women came forward and accused a friend of sexual impropriety. So that's good enough for me. You're, you're out. Yeah. So ultimately, ultimately what I'm saying is at one point, it was just kind of like, oh, shit, well, that's just him. Who knows? Maybe there's an explanation. He's my friend. I'm going to let this slide for a while. To now where it's just like my old opinion was wrong. I need to know better. I need to challenge myself and hold myself accountable. And I agree with all that. And thank you for chasing this. But oh, 
oh shit, I, I keep losing it. My, what I'm trying to get, my, the point that, like, where I'm trying to get to is, yes, all that, thank you for convincing me. You know, Tarantino is a good person, a good human being, no judgment of his character, but in terms of somebody... The only thing I'm going to say on him is he makes good movies for me. M. Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. made, would you say, a decreasingly worse movies where his name became kind of synonymous with a certain type of movie. Oh yeah, yeah. He became known as like the twist guy, which I think really yeah. worked against him. And you saw you saw an M. Night Shyamalan movie, you just sat there kind of like, okay, I think I got the twist. No, wait, now I got the twist. And that really worked against him as a filmmaker. And so do you remember the point when his movies stopped being marketed an M. Night Shyamalan movie? Was it that one about the elevator? Uh, no, before that, he was still making movies. He, he is a prolific producer and director. Yes. And I would say around um, Woman in the Water, is that, was that that's Lady not the name the of water. the movie. Lady in the Lady. Water. Yeah. Avatar. Because I think Avatar was the last movie that was M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. It was, yes, it was M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. And you it was a right. fail, right? Like it was, it was culturally a failure. Because of all the like um, accusations of whitewashing and you know not Definitely. casting Asian actors in an Asian story, and so what I'm saying is, at some point, it it was decided, hey, associating your name with this product is gonna not do you so much good if we take your name off the title of it. Like, you know, maybe maybe we don't make uh, Spike Lee's remake a Spike Lee joint. Maybe we make it something else. If you take yourself one step back from it. Uh, maybe your career will be again. And I would say like, of, like he is recently, like he, he's make he made, he just made a superhero trilogy mm-hmm. out of nowhere because it's like, Oh, people are excited about your movies again. Mm-hmm. You're surprising people and you're in, and you're leaning into the things that work for your movies. Like um, what was the horror movie he did with the grandparents? Oh, that would be um, the visit. Yeah. And I would argue like revisiting his movies. I still like, all like a lot of his movies like i still like unbreakable i still like signs um for all their flaws and problems i think they're still fun family movies unbreakable signs i would say even the village up to the village it's like okay there's something okay here there's something enjoyable here but then when you kind of got into i've never seen lady in the water but the happening that was bad that that was a lazy director lazy everything and we've already talked about Airbender. I could tell you, we could talk about After Earth. Did you see After Yeah, Yeah, I saw it before uh, listening to the podcast, How Did This Get Made? <laughs> so, you had some, so you could have some context? Exactly. And um, yeah, I actually, unfortunately, I stopped watching the movies that they'll be discussing just because I don't know if I have two hours in my life to devote to watching a bad movie. Something that I know is bad. If it's something that's just like, it's Con Air, okay, this is so crazy, it's amazing. But to watch um, Van Helsing, no thank you. I I, I would much rather uh, use my 10 p.m. to midnight slot of watching movies for something maybe better. Yeah, that's right. why I listen to April Wolf's Switchblade Sisters, because these it's about movies that you actually want to watch. Mm-hmm. That also might not be great, you know, some of them are a lot of, it's a lot of B genre movies, but mm-hmm. still something you'll know is entertaining. Um, yeah. So uh, my point is at some point M. Night Shyamalan was like, okay, I'm going to pull back from making movies. And I, and I, you know, seeing the trailer for Tarantino's new movie 
and it's fucking Brad Pitt and Leonardo uh, DiCaprio. DiCaprio. It's like, I just don't give a shit anymore. I just don't care about, I don't care about your white boy nonsense anymore. Your white straight boy nonsense navel gazing anymore. It's like, I really just don't care. I would make the argument that honestly, I don't believe that's been the maturity of his filmmaking canon. What do you mean? Okay, so white white boy nasal gazing, na- navel gazing. It's totally as totally re- Reservoir Dogs. I wrote a paper on how it's just men waving their penises at each other okay, for Reservoir an hour and Dog. a half. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown again is uh, toxic. There's like a lot of toxic masky. Jackie Brown is his best movie. I will still watch Jackie Brown okay. because I don't consider that a Tarantino movie. Django Unchained. I have huge problems with Django Unchained. I have is it huge problems. Navel gazing. Yes. I don't think white people should be made ma- be made allowed to write slave narratives. I okay. I believe that. Okay. That's a slave narrative. He Tarantino and to to acknowledge and write a story about slavery is one thing. To write a story from the perspective of slaves who black African-American slaves mm-hmm. um, whose history and culture you may know and be steeped in, mm-hmm. but it's not your story to tell. You're telling somebody else's, you're, you're, you're saying you're giving the voice to somebody who doesn't have a voice, but you're just talking for them instead of letting them talk. And I think that's what frustrates a lot of progressives like me, people like me, in the world today, it's like, it's not about talking for someone. It's about letting them talk. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, I see it's very hard for me to watch Tarantino and Scorsese, too. It's very hard for me to watch movies that I loved and I'm sure would still love. You look, you, you just look, you look pained. I, I thought there was like, you know, a pause and then the, another part of the sentence. I grew up with like, oh, this is how I can exist and be part and help. I can tell other people's stories for them. And no, how I can help is to tell my own story and let other people tell their own stories. Because I'm, I'm never going to understand someone who can trace their direct lineage back to slavery. Okay. Um Man, I don't know if I agree with that. If, if, a, if a white writer, a white writer, can never talk about the black experience as they understand I, it, mm, that's different. He wrote a slave hero story. He wrote a story about a black man killing white men and, and taking over. You know, just like he wrote a story about Jews killing Hitler. Mm-hmm. Just like he wrote um, a story about a black woman getting one over on the man. Which was also written by Elmore Leonard, who... By a white man, yeah. A white man. Old white man. So yeah, maybe understand Understand is the wrong word. I can understand it, but that doesn't mean I f- am able to feel their pain or talk about their experience. Just because I understand their experience? I would say a white creator, writer, director, actor, producer, whatever, should be allowed to get sandbox, should be allowed to tell these stories under two conditions number one they have to do their fucking homework they Mm. have to get into it Mm. they have to talk to people they have to read the books they have to read the interviews they have to go to their friends who are of that race and saying am i doing a good job am i doing this justice so number one they have to do the homework number two they have to be able to accept the criticism 
not just kind of like, well, you know, guys, I made this movie and I talked to my black friends and everything's cool, yeah. right? No, no, that's not enough here. And here's where you went wrong. Here's where you went light. Here's where you went dark. And here's where you had a white guy save the day, which is not the point that needed to be made. Uh, I think surprisingly, we agree. Okay. Let's high five through this computer. I think yeah. this is, this is, but I'm uh, not trying to end the conversation. I was just like, thank you. I'm, no I was nodding and smiling while you were talking about that because yeah, I, again, going back to my, right. To my metaphor is Tarantino needs to like s- step back and to see his name thrown up there as this is how we're going to market this movie. And it's, and I understand why <laughs> it just, it's, it, it, it is upsetting to some people and me to like, to still see him up there as the main focus when it could be somebody else, right? Like it could be somebody else's name. And so that's, that's what, you know, when, when I say, I, this is, I think why you're, char- you, you are characterized as the good liberal, <laughs> the liberal you can talk to the even handed one. Because yeah, you are a true mediator. <laughs> you are a true. Listen, we need to come to some consensus, so you cannot be saying things like "fuck you" the other to somebody else, because that's those are fighting words. And honestly, I mean, I got a lot to learn, so I, I'm I'm happy to listen and to to change my point of view. I'm happy to grow. I, I don't think we have dissimilar points of view, is what I'm saying. I just, uh, yeah, I think we come at it from different ways, which is what this, you know. What this whole dang world's about, Todd? Different, different experiences and different people coming together. Hey, you know what we haven't done tonight? We haven't spoiled us. <laughs> Have we actually even talked about the movie? We said it was real good. <laughs> we talked about, yeah. The only way I can uh, think of it would have been better is if Tessa Thompson somehow was in it. Oops, who knows? Maybe she was like on the boardwalk or something. Yeah, actually, none of what we've just talked about really is in the movie either. I was going to say, but I'm like, Us has layers. I think it might be in there somewhere. We'll, we'll, and I think I said this when I said that we'll be talking about this for a couple weeks because... Can I ask you an on-question, on, on my question about the movie, about an, uh, the motivation yeah. of a character? Yeah. Red. Ooh. She could have ended that family at any moment. Why do you think she chose not to? Pretty, pretty early on. I recognized that there was something right like that. Obviously some piece of the plot rested on them switching mm-hmm. red and Adelaide, Adelaide, Adelaide at some point, like even, there was a switch, right? That something, or that they were special in some way, right? Mm-hmm. That they were somehow more deeply connected than other doppelgangers. And this is one of the reasons why I said, I didn't, I, I don't mind spoiling this movie because it has layers it's worth seeing again it's worth seeing multiple times it's worth listening to people talk about before you go see it that's this tim's opinion uh todd disagrees and those are both they're both types of people in the world Mm. if god only made one flavor of ice cream well then we'd all be eating chocolate i guess i I would say vanilla because it would be boring um no god's interesting that's i was trying to chocolate okay uh (laughs) Um, sorry. (laughs) Uh, so I realized that pretty early on. And so at first I thought it was vengeance, right? Like I I was like, okay, this is vengeance. She knows she somehow alone knows that this 
girl had a special life or maybe they all know like that they were shadows but she seemed to be the only one that had command or person right she was in charge right it was her personality because she was not tethered to the to this world and so at one at one point she explicitly says i want to uh make this last i want to i want to make you suffer she essentially she she to paraphrase she says i want to make you suffer that's why i'm taking my time doing this mm-hmm. and so right so there's some element of revenge in there definitely and i think there's also some element of empathy in there i think the monsters in this movie are way more empathetic than they are at face value hmm. okay let's hear it i think i think todd we are the monsters oh yeah that that's a given I, th- <laughs> I think I, I think the people who live in suburban, comfy life and go to the beach on weekends are the monsters in this movie. And the people coming together and unite are the underground doppelgangers. I'm going to take a real quick aside. I think you and I, we might have talked about this short story before. It's an Ursula K. Le Guin story mm-hmm. called The Ones That Walk Away from Amalas. Mm, I've not read this one. It's about a page and a half. Um, for, for our readers, this is, this is maybe one of those stories that I, I will just, when I meet a certain type of person, I will recommend it to them. And, and listener, if, uh, you're enjoying what Tim and I are talking about, do yourself a favor. And at the end of this, go read the ones that walk away from Amalas. Listeners, readers, watchers, you know, however you're experiencing this right yeah. now. So, go so experience. Pause it, pause it. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to discuss it real quick right now. Okay. Basically. The premise is you, you've gone to this place called Amalas. You, the reader, are in Amalas. It is a wonderful place. There is mm. the best type of food in Amalas. There are drugs in Amalas. Not just any mm. drugs, though, but like you can dr- – safe drugs. You can do ecstasy, and you're not going to have adverse side effects. You can mm. do coke, and you're not going to have a heart attack. You can get drunk, and you're not going to whatever – Sex. You want to have sex? You can have sex all day long. The people that are willing and consenting, they're willing and consenting. And you do not have to worry about diseases, unwanted pregnancies, doing the wrong thing. It's all there. Everything you've ever wanted is there, and it's wonderful. Cool. So it's the beginning of a Black Mirror episode. The catch. The catch is, in a corner of Amalas, there is a shack, and in that shack is a mentally retarded child. They're chained there. They live in fear. They're given scraps. There is a broom there. They live in terror of that broom, thinking the broom is the monster. And the catch for Amalas is, if you, the reader, go there, you can partake of all the pleasures of Amalas, you can leave, or you could let that child out of there and give that child some level of comfort. But you know for a fact that if you ever let that child out, Amalas will cease to exist. What do you do? And because Ursula K. Le Guin is off operating, was operating on levels higher than I'll probably ever be able to climb, she, she made the point that no one ever lets that child out. You either part, most people partake of all the joy of Amalas or mm-hmm. they walk away from Amalas. Mm-hmm. And the reason why she chose the name is because when she was driving around, she had just had a wonderful weekend in Salem, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And that's what made her think of that. And so she just worded. Salem O to Amalas. I got chills, man. I got that, some that's, chills. That's going what on. I thought of when I saw us. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We got good days here. We got bad days, but I guarantee you, and I know this for a fact in some parts of the world that I've had to 
I'm going to say the pleasure of living in because it really did me a favor and opened my eyes in a pretty big way that while we might not have it the greatest here, a fuck ton better than a lot of other people in the world who, who never are going to sleep in a warm house, a meal that and leave have their belly full at night and so on and so on. That's just a reality that is far beyond what they can ever dream of. This is the struggle of at some point all art, all creativity, because the way society is structured, there will always be somebody worse off than you. And way worse. There's some there will always be someone beneath you. Because you're alive, right? And you survive this long. Part of capitalism is there must be a have not. And yeah. those those people, they have not. They have yeah. nothing. Yeah. Not to get all high school, you know, or <laughs> college freshmen who just took a uh, philosophy class. Uh, no, I, 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 I mean, that's, I, I, I live and breathe that reality every day. I was just like keeping that in mind of this is why I keep going because tomorrow I can try to do better for those who have less than me. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I can try again and I can write like, I, I, I can, and I think that's why um, I, I, we're good friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I used to have a, another close friend. Uh, who used to refer to it as the circus or the carnival, right? Which t- okay. also ties into the movie because the movie, you know, begins in carnival. Uh, that imagery is used very well. Um, but yeah, he used to say like, you know, ice cream was carnival food or and anything like anything store-bought was mm-hmm. carnival food, like anything prepackaged because it was like meant to make you, it was tasty, right? Mm-hmm. It was not something that was just about surviving, it's again, it's, it's, it's sort of a way it's like, it's not productive to hate addicts, right? It's not productive right. to call, to say that addicts have a moral failing because at some point addiction is a symptom of modern society. Um, finding pleasure in whatever you can. Or finding relief in whatever you can. Uh, when I worked in a juvenile drug and alcohol, I would say it was a rare day when I worked with a kid that hadn't been sexually assaulted and was just trying to get through that. Yeah. So what's been getting you through all that? <laughs> all of that that goes through my head on a daily basis, I'm sure, and also probably yours too, you know, in the background chatter. What's 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 making you stand up and be like, this is good and I don't need to feel bad about it or feel bad about it? So one thing that really drives me insane is when I hear people bitch about the younger generation. To me, my stance is if, if we – as my generation have a problem with the younger generation, it's not because they have failed. It's because we have failed them. Mm-hmm. Whenever people say something to the effect of, well, you know, kids, whatever. The example that I always come back to is a punk band from the eighties that I discovered when I was in junior high, probably about the same age as them operation Ivy. You might know them as rancid. You might know them as there are several other incantations of the band as they grew up. But man, when these guys were 13, 15, 16, yeah, they right. put out one album called Energy and it yeah. will, it blow it's it still I'm 42 and it blows the roof off my skull anytime I listen to it. It is smart, it is brilliant, it begets that I think of what people can become if they are given a set of ideas and then nurtured because these are men that they, they had an understanding that was not popular. I mean, 15-year-old in 1989 singing about sexual assault was not a popular thing. 
and then they they continue with that narrative through their lives and then seed the ground with permission and the blueprint for other bands and generations and writers and artists to say these things are wrong these are things that we need to push back on so operation ivy specifically their compiled album because they put out like four or five eps this is everything put together energy that's been getting me through what about you tim i'm sensing a theme with you these days (laughs) you listen to a lot of punk and protest punk protest punk too but yeah, and also youth because the Clash were pretty young when they started, weren't they? Yes, yes, they they were they were very young. Um, all of them were poor, with the exception of uh, Joe Strummer, who grew up uh, the child of um, diplomats and had been all over the world. But he also never had a chance to put down roots. He was put in boarding schools. His only real close family member was a brother who uh, swam out to an island in the middle of I think the River Thames and shot himself. And so that's that was his experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 the reason why I bring all this up is it's not only youth, but it was a different type of youth. It, t- yeah. Traditionally, it was okay. You have the ability to go out and get a guitar, get musical education. You are permitted to make music. No, uh, we, we're the broken kids. We're going to learn these three chords. We're going to come out with something hard and angry, and tell yeah. you what it is. And you know, just to go back. And thank you again, <laughs> because that's that's sort of like illustrating what I meant with standing up against that that kind of mentality of fuck that guy mentality. Mm-hmm. Of it's very easy to say fuck that guy and dismiss somebody, mm-hmm. um, and it's a lot harder to be inclusive and open up to somebody and welcome them in. And I think right, especially in music and comedy and filmmaking, that that that's the boys' club toxic masculinity mentality is fuck that guy and we all got right? our tribe and we all got our opinions i think it's uh, i think it's not wrong to say fuck that movie fuck that script fuck that performance but i think i think if you're going to and i'm going to include myself in there because i def- have definitely said that you have you have to have a better understanding as why you are saying that is it because you're saying that because you dislike the performance or are you saying it because you dislike the actor because they made a movie or they're dating an actress or whatever yeah love hate the sinner Love the sinner. No, love the sinner. <laughs> Hate the sin. That's very heated. Tim, what's been getting you through? Uh, I, sorry, I was going to say quick. Do you know Hobo Johnson and the Lovemakers? No. I'm surprised YEP hasn't been playing them. Uh, just when you yeah. talked about what, just when you were talking about young musicians who somehow, even though they're only you know maybe at oldest 17 18 19 are making amazing music and and you can look forward to their career you know the music that they're gonna make and hope that they make it through this the trials of life um he came to prominence via our you know probably you and my favorite socialist organization npr Mm -hmm. um the tiny desk concert um bob boylan tiny tiny desk gets me through a lot of weeks Tiny Um, desk is seriously good Okay. Uh, if you don't know what it is, uh, you can get lost in watching. It's it's live acoustic, generally acoustic performances in the um, uh, what the all, all songs considered. All songs considered studio. They perform everything right in front of the small desk. And so what they've started to do is uh, host a contest each year, where anybody can record a live video of them performing behind a desk of their choice submit it to 
Tiny Desk, Bob Boyland, and then they will select um, somebody to come and perform. Uh, Tank, Tanks and the Bangers won one year. Tanks and the Bangers, yeah. They won last two years ago, I believe. And Hobo Johnson did not win, but Bob Boyland liked them so much that he invited him them on anyway. I don't even know how to describe it. It's your new favorite song. I'm downloading it right <laughs> um, now. Peach, Peach Scone um, is the song that they use to get on Tiny Desk, but they play a couple others that are amazing. I, I don't even know how to... It, all I can describe is the feeling. It feels like the first time I heard a Modest Mouse song. Okay. It's gonna get. He's going to get a lot of comparisons to that as his career goes on, if he continues like making music in this kind of way. But it's very different. Uh, and like, I mean, I just, just so we're clear, I mean, early modest mouse, like, you know, pre set songs for good people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before they were not cool anymore. Okay. Before they sold out, man. But yeah, listen to good music. James Acaster is a comedian that everyone should listen to. Uh, A-C-A-S-T-E-R. I just went to see him perform last week. Uh, British comedian, young has a net, just got a Netflix special, so I think he's touring off of that. Like he did, he did, f- um, he essentially did four hour stand up specials for Netflix in one go. Okay, wow. Four separate, sh- like that's how like along he's been around and just is starting to I feel get global attention. He does a lot of the popular um, British TV panel shows that I feel make their way over to American consciousness. Um, he he would be on a show, say, with Richard Iowade. Do you know who that yes. is? The IT crowd. Or the Mighty Boosh. Yes, or the Mighty Boosh, Noel Fielding. So yeah, he, he did a he did a celebrity bake off. He's been on bake off. Hmm. I would describe him as a, a kind of somewhere between Chris Gethard and Harry Kondabalu. I can't I'm sorry. Harry Kondabalu. Harry Kondabalu. Harry Kondabalu. Han Kondabalu. I spoke many foreign languages. I could do this. Harry Kondabalu. <laughs> um, his opening bit was fuck uh, Ricky Gervais for the anti-trans stuff that Ricky Gervais has been doing stand-up off of. I also thought he was talking about, I thought he was talking about Louis C.K., but he specifically named Ricky Gervais because he started, he's saying he's like, yeah, because he did, like his opening bit was about, oh, you can't handle the comedy. I'm an edgy comic and punching down mm-hmm. kind of thing. He's a very millennial, waking up comedian, white British dude, and and right self aware. So the the show he's touring on now is called the worst year of his life, where he talks about the worst the worst year of his life. And at one point in the in his routine, he's like, I know what you're thinking, James. This was the year that you got your four. You know, you signed a a four show Netflix deal, and it's the worst year of your life. And he's like, Yeah, I'm a white guy. Even the worst year of my life was pretty Still good. Pretty good. That's awesome. Like, I like that. that kind of so that kind of social humor where he's like, "Yeah, this was a shitty year," and I think people will agree he had a pretty shitty year. But his shitty year was still better than most. Again, to go back to us and Jordan Peele, it felt like I was watching somebody who understood me, mm-hmm. somebody who like saw like kind of at least lived close to the same reality that I do. For some reason, this conversation is one of the few where I get to commune with someone who lives close. We live in close realities. You and Jordan Peele here. Oh, no, me and you, Todd. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Me, we, in the Spider-Verse, I feel like you're from Noir. Ooh, okay. And I'm from the Kauai. I don't know. Okay. You're from the Nicolas Cage one, and I'm from the one with the robot and the cute girl. Okay. I'll take that. 
I don't know if that's true. Into the Spider-Verse, now on Blu-ray and DVD. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Oh my God, it's good. Amy Nicholson did a much better uh, piece on it where she argues that it maybe is the best movie of last year. Oh, I would agree. Jen, I know Jen definitely agrees. I know many people who would agree. I would, and I, like I said, uh, this, this is us. No, that's, that's a TV show on NBC. That's very different. Us something. Yeah. It should be recognized. It, it, it's Jordan Peele has done something great only in his second movie. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I would like to say, I'm really glad to hear you say all these things because I've talked to three people about it, but one of them just had a one word meh, which I, I, I want to punch that word in the face. <laughs> Oh, that's a fun topic to talk about. I, that, oh, God, I hate that. A lot of people of the Gen X era do not like that word. Like they've I, had, I, they, I'm a slacker generation. It's just like, yeah, I can't even be bothered to come up with an opinion about this or critique or give you reasons why I don't like it. I'm just going to say three letters in a period. <laughs> Meh. I think that might be the defining difference between millennials and Gen X. Is their feeling about apathy? Keep, keep in mind, again, we are the slacker generation. We are millennial and millennials are happy to make fun of it and talk yeah. about it and joke about it but gen x is like no that we that's like mall rats is not a comedy all right man well thank you this was a good good discussion that's a discussion for a later time man and millennial versus gen x I, I really think we could get into that this show has legs which is again why i wanted to talk to you about <laughs> uh our you know business relationship okay you want to do that now no, I don't no. really have anything to just to actually discuss. We can split that six pack 50 50, man. Lagunitas is gonna do us right. Um, we'll talk about it. All right, we can edit this part out too. I need, I need to, I no, 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 yeah, but well, I mean, this is this is the podcast for podcasts, mm-hmm. so right, like we're doing a little bit of startup too, I think. Yeah, it's like, how do we start a podcast up? Then, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do we grow? That's a lot of our first episodes, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think leave this in. Everything's, re- you know, we're recording it anyway. The okay. NSA's listening to me right now. No doubt. Just so, just so you know. <laughs> All right, man. Have, tell Becca I said hi. All right, tell Jenna I said hi, man. Have a, good, have a good night. Give your kids a kiss good night. Well, they're already asleep, so I no way in hell I'm waking them up to do that. This has been Mansplain Nation. Thank you to the artist Kula for the use of our theme song, Freed from Greed, off their album Trinity. You can find more of their music at kola.com. As always, check the show notes for links to articles, videos, references, songs, music, whatever little poem Tim wants to share with you will be in the show notes. And also to access kola.com. Thank you, and as always, don't keep yourself in a box.